Lord God, we give you thanks that you have sent your Son into this world to be our Savior. And so as we once more take a look at that Christmas story, we ask that you would give us fresh eyes to see it, open hearts and minds to receive it. And Lord, that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So at the heart of the Christmas story is that line from the angels as they spoke to the shepherds, that announcement that they made, saying, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news of great joy for all the people. I think many of us have heard that line. We've heard it either in our childhood or heard it when we come to church on Christmas. And it brings to mind images, scenes of that first Christmas, doesn't it? It makes us think of things like Mary and her child. The mother laying her baby to sleep in soft hay as she smiles over him. Joseph, the dutiful father, standing guard. Shepherds gathered around in wonder and awe. Angels high overhead singing songs of glory. It's, it's a beautiful scene. It's a comforting scene. And yet, if you were to speak those words to someone living in the first century, a whole different set of images would have come to mind. And so tonight, I want us to actually try to put ourselves in their shoes, to see this story afresh from their perspective and in the way that I believe that the author intended it. Because if you are a first century person, and you heard those words of the angel, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, something very different would have come to mind because these were words that first century people in the Roman Empire were familiar with. They were words that would have been spoken when a new emperor rose to the throne. You see, the heralds would have gone throughout the Roman Empire announcing that there is a new Caesar, a new Lord, and they would have told people um, to fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the empire. That's what would have come to mind, is that a new king has come to the throne, and yet the angels are announcing something different. They say, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. See, what the angels were telling to these shepherds is that the promises of God are now being fulfilled. Throughout the Old Testament, over the course of centuries, God had promised his people that one day he would send a new king. A king whose kingdom would stretch from one corner of the earth to, uh, to the other. A king who would establish an everlasting kingdom of justice and righteousness. Who would pull down wicked rulers from their throne and bring light and life into our darkened world. And if you are a first century person reading this announcement of the angels, you would have gotten pretty excited. Because we would have been like, God is about to do it. He's about to bring a new king from the line of David to establish that heavenly kingdom. But then, if you read on to the rest of the story, you would have started to get a little bit puzzled, a little bit surprised. Because the rest of the story is, quite honestly, a bizarre one. I mean, think about these details for a moment. We learn about Mary says that she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. 
And again, I kind of want to remove some of the quaint images that we have because oftentimes we think of this as being this nice, cozy little scene. But I have to imagine if we put ourselves in Mary's shoes for just a moment, she would have been saying, I don't think that this is the way this was supposed to go. I mean, I have to imagine that Mary, nine months earlier, receiving that announcement from the angel, that she would be mother to the king, would have imagined something very, very different than finding herself giving birth in a manger, having to lay her son in a feeding trough. That's what the manger was. It would have been just a stone box. Stone box that would have been caked with the saliva of the animals who had just had their meal probably just a few minutes before. She would have had to wrap her son in bits of cloth that she could just find lying around, and and that was the only place where she could lay him. Furthermore, think about their circumstances for just a moment. This is not her hometown. She's in Bethlehem, the city of her husband, Joseph. And most likely, they're staying in the home of one of Joseph's distant relatives. You see, what we know about first century homes is that the manger would have been a place that was set off uh, to the side of the house. It would have been a a little lower uh, than the rest of the building, but still connected. And this is where the people would have brought their animals in the evening to keep them safe and to keep them warm. It was basically the first century equivalent of a garage. And I have to imagine that here is Mary in the home of one of her in-laws in their garage giving birth to her child saying, this is not right. This is not the way this is supposed to go. This is not how kings are born. Or think about Joseph for just a minute. I have to imagine that he looked forward to the day that he meets his firstborn son. That he had images of, of bringing his wife home on their wedding day, of starting a family together, of greeting his son in his own home, and yet here he finds himself going door to door, begging for a place for them to stay. Knocking on house after house after house of extended family members saying, please, is there anywhere that we can stay tonight? And being told over and over and over again, no, we're sorry, our house is full. There is no more room left in the guest room. Until finally, when circumstances get urgent enough, he knocks on one distant cousin's door and says, please, my wife is about to give birth. We need a safe space. And they say, well, the only space we have is the manger. And Joseph, probably in feeling a great degree of shame and humiliation, says, if that's all that we have, we'll take it. And as he watches his young wife struggle to give birth to their son, he's probably wondering, this isn't the way this is supposed to be. This is not how kings are born into this world. This is not the way it's supposed to go. Or consider those who received the message of Jesus' birth, those shepherds, right? I think that sometimes we're like, well, of course the angels would go to the shepherds, right? I mean, throughout the Old Testament, shepherds are are the good guys. King David was a shepherd. We all know Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Of course they would appear to shepherds. But if you're a first century person listening to this story for the first time, you'd be like, really? Shepherds get that announcement? I mean, if a king is to be born, a king is to be born, that announcement is going to go out to ambassadors and to governors and to to rulers of other nations, to the wealthy and to the strong and to the powerful, but shepherds? Because you see, shepherds were like on the lowest rung of the social hierarchy in Jesus' day. 
The reason that they were shepherds is probably because they didn't have lands of their own. And so they had to hire themselves out as day laborers, watching over other people's animals. And it's because they probably didn't have a home of their own that they were made shepherds, wandering around, leading the flocks from one pasture to another. And because of that, they were often viewed with suspicion by other Jews. Furthermore, by living out in the fields among the animals, they would have been seen as ceremonially unclean, which means they would not have been welcome in places like the synagogue or the temple. And I have to imagine as these shepherds are wandering through the streets of Bethlehem at night, knocking on one door after another, asking if a king has been born there, there are people looking at them, shaking their heads, saying, these guys have it all wrong. (coughs) This is not the way this is supposed to go. This is not how kings are born. It is a strange and shocking tale. And by the world's standards, we look at that and we say, this just doesn't seem right. But maybe maybe this story isn't about us and our world. Maybe this story is about God and his world. Maybe this story is meant to teach us just who God is and what it means to have a relationship with him. I mean, take a look at these words again. The angel says, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. See, immediately this starts to strike us in a different way, doesn't it? That if this is really about God, what it tells us about his character is that God is a God who is humble, whose deepest desire is to serve those that he came to save. You see, in this world, I think we often look for emperors and kings to save us. We think new governments, new administrations, new laws are going to bring peace. And yet, what the angels are saying here is, no, what you need most desperately, what you need most foundationally is a king who will rescue you. A king who's willing to become one of you, to live alongside you, and to welcome you into his kingdom. When we look at this story and we look at the ways in which Jesus is born into this world, what we see is that he came not to punish, but to forgive. That he came not to judge, but to bear the judgment on his own shoulders. That he came not to rebuke, but to embrace. Jesus came into this world to draw us to himself, to woo us to him, and to inaugurate a kingdom that one day he would bring in his fullness. Because what the first Christmas points us to is ultimately to the second Christmas, the day when Jesus will come again, and on that day he will make all things new. He will establish a kingdom of justice and righteousness. He will wipe away all evil and wickedness. He will remake our world so that there is no more pain or suffering or disease or death. Where the old order of things has passed away and where the new has come. He will set up his dwelling place on this earth. But where that story begins is here this night. In humble circumstances to let us know that this God who ultimately comes to bring justice is a God who first comes to bring forgiveness. 
to bring relationship and the promise of new life. And yeah, that's a strange story. It kind of breaks our quaint images, but it reminds us of the truth that our God was willing to become one of us in order to welcome us into his family. And it makes perfect sense that the God who comes to bring good news for all people would be welcomed by those who are the least and the most lowly, the poor and the outcast and the homeless. That if God is truly for all people, there's no other way that he would have preferred to do it than here this night in this stable, in this stone manger with hay, surrounded by his mother, by his adopted father, and by the shepherds who wouldn't have been welcome anywhere else. For in that moment, he is showing us what it means that he is Emmanuel, God with us, Christ the Lord, our Savior. This is what it looks like to bring good news of great joy for all people. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, who is indeed the Son of David, our Lord, our King, our Savior, and our God, that we say praise be to Christ. Amen.